You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. In today's episode, we are speaking to Glenn Lutchford, a legendary fashion photographer and filmmaker whose images are often referred to as not only iconic, but cinematic. He's one of my favorite minds to have ever engaged in this industry and someone I've had the great fortune of interviewing numerous times over a number of years. In today's conversation, we end up discussing the future role of a photographer, the emerging new marketplace of a metaverse, that time he took acting classes with fellow director Sofia Coppola, and a number of other anecdotal moments that capture a glimpse into his incredible career. This is Glenn Lutchford talking about what's contemporary now. So Glenn Lutchford, the man, the myth, the legend, here we are again for another conversation. And as always, I'm super stoked about the idea of getting to pick your brain on any given number of topics that are happening today. We're only semi out of the pandemic, but just as a jumping off point, obviously it's expedited a great deal of change that otherwise seemed as though it would have taken years. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the idea of what is contemporary now if we're juxtaposing it against anything from pre-March 2020. Well, the industry has definitely changed. There's no doubt about that. feels very different coming back after COVID. But I guess my personal central focus is essentially metaverse and how that's going to change all of our lives in such a dramatic way. I'm essentially spending most of my time educating myself in Web3 as we shift from Web2 to Web3 and the changes that are going to come from that and where our life's going to end up. You know, it's certainly going to change the photography industry, there's no doubt about that. Where does one position yourself in that? Because you don't need photography in the metaverse, you know what I mean? So That's something that we've spoke about before is when you had felt as though the arrival of the iPhone and the quality camera that was available would start to replace the need for professional photography in certain forums. So fast forwarding that to the way something like the arrival of the metaverse is going to newly shape the way you participate or engage in the industry. Do you have an idea of what that looks like already, or is it still taking shape? Yeah, I think the universe that we're going to be living in very soon is where you have an avatar of yourself, which you can dress in any clothing you want that you've purchased from Gucci or Prada or whatever. And you'll be able to go out and see concerts, which will be, you know, like 20 bucks instead of 200 bucks or a thousand bucks, depending on where you're sitting in the stadium. And You'll be able to go and see movies in the metaverse and you'll be able to go shopping in the metaverse. So essentially you're going to end up with this entire world that we just go into and spend the day, you know, hanging around in there doing different things. You know, like you'll go into a shop and see different like exhibits and stuff like that. You'll gain credits and with those credits, you'll be able to buy items that can then become tangible and real in the real world. So it's going to be a much more sort of interactive space. You know what I mean? I know that one major company has already said that they think they're going to be making about 20 or 30% of their profits in five years from now from the metaverse. Let's say that's correct. And you take a company like Gucci, for example, let's say they're making 30% from metaverse. That means that 30% of their advertising and engagement or more even is going to want to be in the metaverse. So where does someone like myself fit into that? As a photographer, it's not really relevant in the metaverse anymore. So you have to then rethink ways that you're going to work in the future. Like, am I now a creative director? Is, is that how we're going to sort of look at things? Because essentially it's all about ideas. And then the technicians to take those ideas and put them into reality. 
One of the things that I specifically wanted to pick your brain on with regards to that was how so many people have struggled with the revisiting of what they might be passionate about. And I think, you know, you've really won the lottery, not only having discovered what that passion was, but being able to succeed at it for decades upon decades. And so my question for you to the outsider might be, you've won the lottery it's set, it's answered, you've arrived and the rest is easy breezy. But the reality is that's probably a journey that you still have to redefine season after season in terms of sustaining your own interest or inspirations. Um, really, I think the main part is that you're not looking backwards, you're always looking forwards. And I mean, that's a pretty broad stroke, but it kind of sums up everything. I mean, for me, I feel like there's always something new coming around the corner. So I'm constantly questioning what that is and where it's coming from and how it's going to affect my career and all this sort of stuff. And is it going to restrict me from doing things that I want to do or encourage them? I was doing a lot of filming work in the late nineties and 2000. And then I kind of abandoned it after that period. I thought I'm going to really be a photographer and I'm going to really focus on that and try and do it as well as I possibly can and stop trying to do three things at once. And then weirdly, now all fashion companies want to make films and so it's gone a full circle and now it's been pulled back into filmmaking again but yeah i'm really just chasing technology i always try and keep my hand in, in multiple things outside of the fashion industry as well because i think if you focus on one avenue for too long you get really narrow-minded and sort of short-sighted about things so i find for me it's better that i go away and i try new things and then i, I bring those things back into the industry and of course now everything's changing so dramatically you know we're moving in such a new direction now that it's all come pretty handy to be honest so that pursuit of diversifying your experience is something you've done throughout your career it's not necessarily something that's kind of emerged over recent years yeah because uh, when i was working for prada i thought well this is the first company that's actually paid me a really good wage. And so now I have money in the bank for the first time. So rather than just keep filling my bank account up, which is a kind of soulless pastime, if you like, I'm going to use that money and do something interesting with it. So then I quit fashion and went off and did a film for a year or two and paid for some of it anyway with the Prada money. And then a lot of those things that I learned in making that film, I then took back into fashion afterwards. So, you know, like one is feeding the other. It's a nice uh, trade-off, if you like. I've always done that, you know, like I was working in theater for a little bit, and then I did some acting classes for a while because I wanted to learn what it was like to be an actor on the other side of the camera. I did that with Sophia Coppola. She was, they had three directors and then a bunch of actors, and we were two of the directors, which was great. She was working through her first movie, The Virgin Suicide, so we got to act out some of the scenes from that and just see how she was developing that film. I've just always done things like that. You know, I've always been sniffing around, trying out different things that are outside of the fashion industry. That's incredible. I had no idea about the having taken acting classes. Yeah, well, I was thinking to myself, how are you going to direct an actor when you don't know how to act? You're lecturing someone on something that they have expertise on and you have none. If I look back at my favorite directors, they all came through either theater or television. And so they'd worked with actors extensively for long periods of time. And so when they were trying to create a scene, they could actually say to the actor, I feel like you're not getting it. And this is the reason why X, Y, and Z. And you can give them really interesting notes. Whereas if you don't know anything about acting, how are you ever going to give them notes? 
So I thought the best thing for me to do is just throw myself in the deep end. And it was really painful for me because I'm really shy. So I hated every second of it, but it was very, I thought it was very valuable. Clearly you've had valuable takeaways over the years, if that's something that you did so early on. You have been doing incredible film projects for brands like Gucci and obviously had another incredible project with Prada recently. What type of projects are you looking at pursuing for the seasons to come with that medium? I'm glad you brought that Prada project up because that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. So that's the first time I've ever used that new technology, which is called the volume technology. And I think most people might have read about it in regards to the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. And it's effectively a 20 foot tall, sort of like horseshoe shaped screen. It's like probably like 50 feet wide and 20 feet high. And it projects an LCD image through the back onto the screen. And then you build the stage floor up slightly above the screen. So you don't see it dropping behind and it projects not photographs, but gaming technology onto the screen. There's a company called Unreal Engine. They created this icy tundra landscape where you've got 300 miles and you program it into the computer and then you just roam around it like you're in a video game until you find the background that you like and then you punch in coordinates and you go, right, that's my scene there. And then you go off and find another one and the computer tech is keeping all the coordinates so you can very quickly move from one scene to the other. And then you can change the sun in the sky so you can have it in the morning or at midday or at dusk. You know, there's a lot of different things that you can do with it, which is quite fascinating. And it's kind of like a living organism, like the, the clouds are moving across the sky as you're filming. The thing I like about it the most is that the actors don't need to guess what environment they're in because they're now in it. They can see that they're standing in front of an iceberg or they're in, in a blizzard or whatever. So it allows them to really disappear into that sort of environment. Whereas when you're shooting against a green screen, they have to sort of use their imagination a lot more. The other thing that's super beautiful about it is that if you project an image at dusk, the light that comes off the screen is dusk all day long. You can shoot dusk for 14 hours a day. Whereas in reality, if you're shooting dusk, you've literally got 10 minutes. So I was fascinated by that technology and I really wanted to work with it. So Prada gave us that opportunity to do that. I have to say though, it was hard to do it and it was a massive learning curve. And at the end of it, myself and my crew all sat down and we just looked so beaten and ravaged <laughs> by the whole experience. We were like, my God, I can't believe we actually pulled that off. Yeah. I mean, that was the question I was going to ask is what is a lead time on a project like that when you do have a learning curve and new technology that you're working with? Do you have the uh, time or is it really sort of learn as you go? Well, with something like that, like the Mandalorian, for example, where the spaceship lands on a red planet, you would end up spending a long time with whoever's creating your backgrounds and create the background of a red planet and you would get the lighting right and the time of day right. And you might spend two months doing that, but of course, in a fashion campaign, you can't have that. So mm -hmm. we had to use existing technology and yeah, we had like a two day pre-light and then we went into a two day shoot, but it was very, it was exhausting. It was really tough. We had a lot to do in two days. Um, what's interesting about something like that is that you don't know what you don't know. It's like learning a new language. Mm -hmm. So you think you're doing okay. And then something dramatic happens and you're like, oh my God, I just didn't see that coming. And you didn't see it coming because you've never done it before. So, you know, like for example, when the actors move within eight feet of the screen, the screen pixelates. 
you've only got a tiny operating window in the middle of the stage where they can actually act and do things. And, you know, at certain moments, everything started glitching on the screen and flickering. And I was like, can we fix this or is this going to go on all day? Because you can't feel while it's flickering and glitching. And the, I looked at the Digitech and he was freaking out. And I was like, these guys are kind of learning the ropes as well, you know. But anyway, it did fix itself and we were fine. But yeah, I guess the unknown is what makes it interesting. Any, anything new like that where you have to really use your brain is kind of great. Once you've actually learned everything, it becomes a bit of a bore, to be honest. Well, you seem to have really mastered the craft. I mean, again, those two are just amongst a list of good examples of your work in fashion film, which is why I was sort of alluding to the question as to whether or not you were curious about exploring other versions of film that you would like to produce yourself. Uh, feature films, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably going to happen because producers have been asking me to do that. And now that I'm spending probably about 60% of my time making films and being in films and producing films and in post-production of films, I'm sort of living it each day. It kind of does feel natural to go back and tell a longer story, I guess. So yeah, that probably will happen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's exciting. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned the hotel, obviously you have a post-production house and I know that you're kind of always exploring different ideas of companies that you could invest in, develop and grow. Is there some sort of common thread through those projects? I mean, to me, as an outsider, they seem quite unrelated, but what is the driver behind what it is you decide to take on in terms of these new projects outside of fashion photography? That's a really good question. I mean, I guess for me, it's always the journey. So taking on something that you know nothing about and learning it and then trying to make it work and then see what you can bring to it that isn't there. You know I mean? It's kind of an interesting driver, I guess, behind everything. There's probably a more distinct link between all of them if i actually sat there for five minutes and thought about it but i kind of like sisyphean projects you know where you have to roll a boulder up a hill and try and get it over the top that's always appealed to me uh, and sometimes you don't get it over the top you feel like you're just stuck halfway up the mountain and keep pushing 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 but I guess I've always been fascinated by that there's a really interesting Werner Herzog movie called Fitzcarraldo I don't know if you've ever seen it no. It's a fabulous film, actually. The story is about a rubber baron who wants to bring an opera house to the Peruvian jungle. And the only way that he can raise money to do that is to get a steamboat into a piece of water that no one can get a boat into so he can start bringing the rubber back and making lots of money. And so he has to drag a steamboat over a hill it's basically a sort of metaphor for filmmaking, quite frankly. You know, it has this terrible Sisyphean quality where they're just trying to pull this thing up and they eventually get it over the hill and then I won't tell you what happens in the end, but it's an extraordinary film. But I feel like a lot of my projects have a kind of Fitzcarraldo quality to them. There's always something about it where failure just feels like it's just around the corner, you know, which keeps you on your toes. That's something that's actually a reoccurring theme in our conversations, just in terms of different ways you've found to keep yourself on your toes or not become complacent. I know that we spoke earlier on about real estate and not sitting atop a pile of money without any kind of motive behind it. So what was an example of the first sort of external segue project that you had taken on? Outside of fashion? Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, before I became a photographer, I was 
kind of a ridiculous character, I think, because I was trying so many different things that were very overambitious, things that I didn't know anything about. Like I was kind of searching around. This is when I was like 17 or whatever, 16, 17. I just got out of school and I was like, oh, I'm going to start a construction company. We didn't know anything about construction, so that didn't go anywhere. And then a friend of mine's dad who was in construction said, well, I know something you can do. You can clean patios with a steam cleaner. So I was like, great, we're going to have a patio cleaning company. Let's do that for a while. And then I got into uh, screen printing. So then I had a screen printing company and uh, did that for a little while. And I just bounced from one project to another. None of them really working very well. But then when I found photography, it clicked and I really enjoyed it. So I just stuck at it. But I, I haven't lost that sort of <laughs> have a go attitude. <laughs> so I keep finding these things and jumping in with TV. There's something really exciting about starting something that you know nothing about. I guess in answer to your question, after being a photographer, the first thing I did was a feature film, which probably doesn't sound that ambitious given that I'm a photographer, but I never went to film school. And the first day I arrived on set, I literally did not fucking know anything. You know what I mean? And the cameraman looked at me and was like, okay, what do you want to do? And I was like, all right, just put the camera over there and let's do a long shot. And I just started making it up, hoping that it was going to work. And it's sort of just about edited together when I got it back to the editing suite. But, you know, it's kind of a slightly kamikaze attitude towards things, which I'm not sure I would fully recommend, to be honest. But I did learn a lot from it. So I can't, really be negative about it or well, that's, say anything too bad about it in the long run. That's actually common conversation that's been had over several years around the benefits of post-secondary education versus entering the workforce and going through the experience route. I mean, I would think that something like photography and filmmaking is so technically driven that while you can't teach instinct or creativity as such, you still require the skills to understand the kind of mechanistic aspect of that. So... Well, you do and you don't. I mean, I like I, this is such a cliche thing to say, but I'll say it. Embracing failure is everything. Like it really is, right? And and it really concerns me a little bit about my son because he seems to have an aversion to failure. And and I, I said to him uh, the other day, "Have you finished that project?" And he said, "No, I didn't finish it." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Well, I didn't think it looked very good, and I didn't want to show it to anyone." And I was like, "No, you really must because." It's the key to a happy life, really. If you can't throw yourself off a cliff and make an ass of yourself, you're really never going to find these really exciting things and learn. So when I started as a photographer, I really skipped school. I didn't go to college, and I should have. And I didn't learn the basics. And I did, I did do a little bit of photo assisting, but I didn't really learn that much about technical things. So when I started to work for the Face magazine, I was basically winging it on set. Some of the times I got away with it, some of the times I didn't. It actually blew up in my face. You know? I think I told you this story before that I did a shoot of Bjork and I completely messed up the exposure of the negatives. When I got back to my dark room and looked at the underexposed negs, because in those days you didn't have computers, so it's not like you could scan them and fix them. Mm -hmm. If you miss, underexposed them, they were just ruined. I was so upset because I was such a big fan of Bjork that I kicked the filing cabinet and broke my toe. <laughs> oh, God. So once in a while, my toe will start hurting, and it just reminds me of this 
absurd day in my dark room while I was ripping my hair. I go, what the fuck am I going to do? Because it's very hard to mess up when you're already working professionally for a magazine. You can't go in and say, sorry, I underexposed it. You know what I mean? That's just not acceptable. I went through quite a lot of those harsh times and failures and stuff on the way, like a lot of people do. And how did the Bjork story pan out? Did it end up running or did you? It's still one of my favorite pictures. Yeah. Actually, I think I put it in my book. It's a portrait of Bjork. But basically, I shot it on 8x10 plate color neg. And if you can imagine what an 8x10 plate camera looks like, it's got bellows in it. It's like an old-fashioned camera, right? And what I hadn't realized is that you need to expose for the loss of light inside the bellows. So you take a regular exposure, and then you've got to add an extra exposure for this loss of light, and no one told me that. So when I got the film back, it was underexposed by a stop of a half and it was flat as fuck. But I realized that if I printed them in black and white rather than color, black and white paper, you've got different grades, one to five. So I could go to a very contrasty grade of paper, a number five, and suddenly it looked okay. They actually look quite beautiful and they work. So I got away with it. It's kind of a happy ending. It's a happy ending. Yeah. And there's a couple of not so happy endings. <laughs> Well, having gone through that journey and working with that type of technology straight through to today, where we're talking about these elaborate and impressive cameras that you had used on, on Prada, what is the relationship to technology and evolution then moving forward? You know, we touched upon the idea of a metaverse and how the role of the photographer can actually segue into art direction. What do you think the next kind of round looks like in terms of your role as photographer in this new marketplace? I think photographers are going to have to start thinking like art directors and they're going to start being creative directors and coming up with things that can work as NFTs in metaverse, in stills, whatever, because you just can't use a photograph in the metaverse. That's the problem. I mean, you can, but it's not going to be that interesting. You know, a lot of image makers, which I think is a relevant word because now just taking a photograph doesn't really count for anything, but. I think they're going to have to decide if they want to be part of that or not. And some of them are not. You know, I think Metaverse will be revolutionary. I think it's going to change the way we see and think about everything. But a lot of people are going to reject it. I'm someone who really likes analog and things that are tactile. And I like to touch and see things. So the idea of going into this completely fake world and spending time in that is going to be very difficult for me. But at the same time, I'm also really excited to see where it's going to go because it's obviously going to be interesting. So I'm trying to stay kind of level-headed about it. Well, speaking about analog, that's something I would love to sort of close with is getting your point of view on the role a magazine cover plays in culture today. Because we've had several years of conversation around the idea of digital versus print and yada, yada, yada. But we're now in front of a time where culture is driving so much in terms of fashion and, and trends. And so with that fragmentation or democratization or however you would like to label it, I can't help but wonder what the role of a magazine cover is today. Yeah, it's a really good question. Does a Vogue cover have the same power as five seconds of footage of a supermodel falling about laughing with her friend on Instagram? Probably not, to be honest. Something like that will get you 10 million hits. So, I mean, I think the real shift from printed magazine to a digital magazine will happen as we transition into Web3. 
I noticed that Time Magazine just announced that they're launching the first NFT magazine. Mm. And uh, NFT magazines make a lot of sense because people can buy the imagery that's inside the magazine and they can be a part of it. And the artists that are shooting for it can be paid for doing the work. So I think the potential of what you can do inside it is obviously really interesting. So I think that's where this is all essentially heading. But like everyone else that's working in Metaverse and NFT, we're all basically at college at the moment trying to learn. And some people are a little ahead than the others, but most of us are really struggling to understand physically and visually exactly what it's going to look like. So I think it's starting to become clearer, but in the next five years, it's going to get really exciting to see how everything changes so much. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely a frontier filled with silver lining. And as always, um, I enjoyed our conversations and feel like I should be taking notes any given time that we're speaking because you just have such a way with words. So thank you for taking the time today. Cool, Christopher. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Topmiller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Saw for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week, and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.